But not all heroes wear capes. In the ten chapters of this book, the book of Esther, there are five main characters if you've been reading along. The first one is mentioned in the very first verse of the book. His name is Xerxes. Everyone say Xerxes. And so verse 1 of chapter 1 says, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel, which is like the capital of Persia, which was called Susa. Xerxes was the great Persian king. He was a an established prominent figure in human history at that time. And there's lots and lots of uh, writings about him outside of Scripture. He features massively in the story of Esther. And so we're going to see a lot of him. He's probably in his mid-30s. This was the third year of his reign. He he began his uh, reign at the age of 32. So right now he's about 35, 36, who knows. He's very wealthy. He was born into it. His father was the great king Darius. Darius ruled for 36 years. He was a king who expanded the Persian Empire by taking over multiple nations. And so they're a big kingdom. They're a big deal. They have different races, different ethnicities, different cultures, different languages, different religious convictions, all under one empire. And Xerxes, if he had any kind of religious devotion, it would have been Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism, that's the one. He's a pagan. He didn't worship the God of the Bible. Xerxes is nothing short, actually, of being a god himself. Those in the Persian Empire would look to Xerxes as a god in fear of him. He was a powerful man. And it's interesting that this book begins with this powerful, infamous character. And I think it does for a, very, for, for a couple of reasons. But number one, to show that actually... It doesn't matter how corrupt the powers are that govern this world. God's in control. I think the writer of this this book does this to prove that very point. Even though we read of this great king, this all-powerful man, on his throne, ruling over his empire, God is in control. The second character that we read of, that we're introduced to, is a princess called Vashti. Not much is known about Vashti. Again, in chapter 1, you can read it. But what we do do learn in chapter 1 is Xerxes holds a massive party, not just one night. Charlie and Hannah had a great party last night. They were married yesterday. Lovely day. They had one night. This man, he was hardcore. 180 nights. Put your hands up if you'd still be standing after a week. 180 nights, this man knew how to party. But it was just a boast. It was just to say, look at my glory. He thought he was God. And so he invited people to drink and eat and be merry and party with me and look what I have. Look at me. Look at my 
glory. And towards the end, he wanted to boast a little bit more. And so he almost brings out his princess, Vashti. He sends eunuchs out after her. We don't need to learn about eunuchs this morning. But he sends seven eunuchs to go and say, the king wants you to come and dance for his guests. And Vashti went, jog on, not doing it. That's Hebrew, you can check it. Not having it. She said, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And so what does Xerxes do? Go, right, poof, you're out. I want another princess. That's paraphrased in a very short sentence there. So she refused to do it. So the king removed her as queen and sought to replace her. The third character that we read about is a man called Mordecai. He's a hero. He's got no cape. And we read in Esther 2, verses 5 to 6, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai. And then we have this man called Haman. At this point, you can say, He's a bad guy. We don't like this man. He stinks. He's the right-hand man of the king. He's got a whole lot of authority. He probably thinks he's God himself again. He's the bad guy. He likes a bit of power, and he enjoys using it against others. And we read in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamathatha, the Agatite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Mordecai, jog on. Don't like you. I'm not bowing down to you. And then we have another hero, Esther. And we meet Esther in chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. Hadassah is the Hebrew for Esther, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Long story short, Xerxes kicks out Vashti and he needs another princess. Xerxes decides to audition, I say audition loosely, audition for another princess. So there's a massive queue. Every audition takes a night. That's all I'm going to say. 140 nights down the road comes Esther. Don't need to say anymore. Busy man. Esther comes along. She wins the audition. She becomes the queen alongside Xerxes. The king had a lot of beautiful ladies to audition. But she wins and she sits alongside the king. She is situated for what happens next. A perfect opportunity. A perfect moment to influence And so these are the five 
main characters of the story. We have Xerxes. We have Vashti. We have Mordecai. We have Haman. Well done. And we have Esther. Everyone say hello. Good. We're there. It's like Blue Peter, isn't it? So, the story. Mordecai saves the king. Not all heroes wear capes. Mordecai saves the king. How? Esther 2, verses 21 to 23. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Farner and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai, Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on posts. All this was recorded in the Book of Animals, Annals, Book of Animals, Book of Annals in the presence of the king. I like what they do to people in this book. They impale them on stakes. So you think of, you think of a big fence post turned upside down, and these were like 10-foot fence posts, and they would just impale them on there, so they'd just be hanging. Here's a demonstration. No, I'm kidding. There's not a picture. Not a picture. And so Mordecai, here's what's going on. These two guys, they're going to plan to assassinate the king. Mordecai hears. He goes to Esther. Esther goes to the king's ear and tells him. These two are caught and they're impaled. Chapter 3 tells us that Haman, come on, come on. He was a little upset. He decides to get his own back on Mordecai by not just killing him. He's not just happy enough by wanting to kill him. He wants to kill his own people, the whole of the Jewish people in Persia at that time. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of history between them. And so Mordecai and Esther hatch a plan. Esther 4, verse 13 to 17. Mordecai sent back his answer to Esther. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He's saying, you're not going to get away with this as well. You're in this. It's your fault. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? But you have come to your royal position for such a time for this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, nights or days. And I attend my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther's ready. Esther's ready to go and speak to the king and say, if he kills me, he kills me, but I'm willing. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Mordecai was saying, this is your moment, Esther. This is why you're here. This is why you were chosen. God is at work in this story. You are chosen to save the people. Use your time. Use your opportunity. And so they put together to get the king's ears over a banquet. 
Meanwhile, Haman, Haman is planning to kill Mordecai by impaling him on some very big stakes. He gets them made. He puts them up like a decoration, like the winter gardens in the town centre, the ice rink, and then a big stake ready for someone to be impaled. Esther 5, verses 13 to 14. All this gives me no satisfaction. This is Haman saying this. As long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate, his wife Suresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reach into the height of 50 cubits. Ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself as you do. This suggestion delighted Haman. He had the pole set up. And then we read in chapter 6, the king can't sleep. We've all been there, haven't we? What do you do when you can't sleep? Take a sleeping tablet, okay. What else do you do? Read Leviticus. Well, this king, he decided to read back on his reign. He decided to read the journals that had been written about him. It's like reading your own biography. There you go. And suddenly he reads and recalls what Mordecai has done. I mean, we're talking about a time span here. We're not talking just overnight. Mordecai hasn't got amnesia and he's forgot already overnight. We're talking about a bit of time here. Mordecai suddenly reads through his uh, annuals and remembers and, and recalls what Mordecai has done for him. And he said, hang on a minute. Mordecai saved my life, but we haven't honoured him. We haven't done anything. We haven't recognised what he's done in saving my life. And so we read in in Esther 6, verses 1 to 10. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and to read to him. It was found recorded that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this, he asks. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai. That's timing for you, isn't it? That's a moment. Haman was just about to say, impale him. And Mordecai, no, Xerxes couldn't sleep. And and in that moment, he reads and goes, hang on a minute, we have to honour Mordecai. One man's coming to kill him, another man's coming to lift him up and honour him. In a moment. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court, bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Notice he doesn't say Mordecai then. What should be done to honour a man? Honour a man. I'm tired, okay? I've got an excuse. Now Haman thought to himself, oh, he's going to honour me. He's going to honour me. Sir, sire, what would you do to honour me? Uh, I want a big house. I want a car. I want a helicopter. I want a tank. I want, I want a fridge that dispel- you can get ice through the door. That's what I want. He's painting all this picture. This is what you should do, thinking that the king wants to honour him. 
Who is there that the king would rather honour than me, he says. Surely it's going to be me. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honour. Bring them a royal robe. That's what you did then, not a fridge. Bring them a royal robe. The king has worn a horse. Give him a horse. Of course you get a horse, don't you? One with a royal crest placed on its head. Let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one of the king's most noble princes. Let the robe, the man the king delights to honour, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, he's painting a great picture here, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Haman wants to be led through the empire on a horse, going, look at me, look at me, look at me. Little did he know. It's great, isn't it? It's like watching Jeremy Kyle. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested. Drum roll. To Mordecai. You imagine Haman going, what? In a moment, in a moment, things change. Certainly for Haman and certainly for Mordecai. In the blink of an eye, Mordecai was hated. Suddenly things have changed. Haman was noble, and suddenly, in a minute, things change. For Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have written. I bet he's like, I wish I'd never said a word. (laughs) And so, Esther seizes her moment, and she ensures Haman's plot is exposed, and he is executed. In Esther 7, verses 1, it says, The king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet like they were invited. As they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked again, Esther, what is your petition? What do you want to ask me? It will be given. There's a promise. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. There's a promise. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, This is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. At that moment, she kept quiet about her people. She kept quiet who she belonged to. But at that moment, she got onto the king's ear and said, Spare my life and also my people. Verse 4, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. And Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, the vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Things have changed, haven't they? Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen? (laughs) Caught red-handed. While she is with me in the house, as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. 
Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Hermane's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Hermane, Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. Good old Haman. Great story, isn't it? The last three chapters, Esther gets the king to promise, not only have you, will you release my people and will, you will revoke the edict that was spoken out against my people, but you will make another edict that any enemy of the Jewish people will be slain, will be uh, annihilated. And so the next three chapters is just blood, guts and gore great. It's great. And they go on a frenzy. They literally go on a frenzy. Every empire, every nation, every army that would turn against the Jewish people, they just go and annihilate them all. And then they decide to rest, which is nice. They decide to put their feet up and go, do you know what? We should celebrate this day. (laughs) They'd been killing people for three, four days. They go, hang on, let's have a break. Why don't we have a feast? Of course you do, after you've you know, been on a bit of a rampage with your sword. Let's eat. It's hungry work, isn't it? They go, actually, why don't we mark this feast and call it Purim? Purim, to this day, is celebrated in memorial of the people being rescued from the plot of Haman. To this day, they celebrate it. They recognize Esther and Mordecai and God's sovereignty. And they celebrate it. Eventually, Xerxes was assassinated by the Greeks. Long story, don't need to go there now. But Esther made the most of her time and the moment. And you know, it's funny because when you read through the book of Esther, do you do not read the words God, Lord, Yahweh, nothing. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Deliberately. Deliberately to show us God was still in control. When you look at the moments throughout the story, Esther, uh, for such a time as this, ended up in the palace next to the king to get his ear. The moment Haman was coming into the palace to kill Mordecai, the king recognized who Mordecai was in a moment. There is God's sovereignty under all of this story to lead his people into the promised land. Fullness. Life. Because if it wasn't for his hand, God using these people in these moments, then there would be no celebration. There would be no the rest of the Bible. There would be nothing. But God was at work. He wasn't absent. His presence is all over the story. He was behind every scene, coordinating it. And those coincidences, those circumstances, he's all over it. And I I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I've seen too many. I don't know how many of you guys have prayed for something and that prayer has been answered. Can I just 
That's not a coincidence. People will say, oh, what a coincidence. You prayed and, you know, I'm telling you, I prayed for a car on a Friday night washing some dishes. Sunday morning I walk into church and someone says, Liam, would you like my car? Was that a coincidence? It's a God incident. God was there. And actually, we, we nicknamed that car Liberty because it gave us so much freedom when we were stuck in the middle of the hills of Shropshire. And we needed that little Ford Fusion. It was amazing. But God answered. And it wasn't a coincidence. And we look back and we see coincidences. Oh, I met that person and that thing happened. I prayed this and that thing happened. Or I was saved or I was set free or and that thing happened. And they're not coincidences. They are God's nature and sovereignty over your life. It's easy to take the perspective, the book is all about Esther. Well, why wouldn't you? It's titled, entitled Esther. But if you think that, if you think it's just about Esther, you're missing the mark. And it's not really about Esther. It's not really about Xerxes. It's not really about Mordecai. It's not really about Vashti or Haman or the Persians. But it's about God, the creator, the savior of the world. He's the main character of not just this book, but the whole Bible. God is on every single page of his word. Whether you realize it or not, this morning... He's the main character in your story too. God is at work in your life, whether you recognize it, whether your eyes are open to it today or not. God is at work. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And you, well, you may say, Liam, how do you know that? Well, you're here. You woke up this morning and you breathed. God's not done with you yet. There's more to your story than you will ever imagine right now. How exciting. God's at work in your story. He is the hero of your story, and he doesn't wear a cape. He's at work. And God will and does work in mysterious ways. And we can look back and we can try and put God in a box, but you will never put God in a box. The moment you put God in a box, you haven't got God, you've got religion. You've got some other defunct belief. God is mysterious. And we're created to find him mysterious. And look to him, look to him, 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 look to him in awe and wonder. And he's all over your life. All over your life. When I didn't even know Jesus, I saw him at work. The Holy Spirit was talking to me about a creator and that I was created and that I needed to listen to him. And at that point, the Holy Spirit was working in my life. I didn't know it was Jesus. I didn't know that who it was until the right time when my heart was ready and someone started talking to me about all that God had done for me through Jesus Christ. And I look back and could see when God had saved me. Saved me from electrocution. Saved me from overdoses. Accidentally and deliberate. Saved me from fighting. Saved me from car crashes. Saved me. God was at work in my story. 
And I can see that. When you look back, when you look back enough, you will see that God has been at work in your life. And the best is yet to come. He's been working in your life the whole time. And this great book teaches us it's time to step up and align our lives with God's purposes. Like Esther, God always has a plan. Do you think Esther knew what God was up to? Do you think Mordecai knew what God was up to? No. But what did they do? They stepped into the moment. And they made the most of the moment that was in front of them to do all that they could do for themselves and for God's people. God uses people. If you remember, they had a choice. They could have gone back to the Jewish people. But they stayed in Babylon because life was very comfortable. They probably weren't even practicing in their faith. Okay, So they were distant from God. They weren't living it out faithfully every single day. We miss that. But they weren't, they weren't following their faith. Esther hid away. She didn't tell people who she believed, who she followed. She didn't worship in the temple. She kept quiet. She wasn't a perfect person. But God still used her for a moment. And that encourages me because I don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect for God to use us in the moment in the opportunity that we find ourselves in. We just have to be willing. And if we're willing, he can use us. And you too can be a hero, and you don't need a cape. Maybe we should make some Hope Community Church capes, though. Available online, 5.99. But it teaches us, God always has a plan. People at work, He wants to see people at work. He wants to see us at work. And just maybe you are one of them today and you're called to be on a mission, to go on a mission. A mission from God to see his kingdom break out, to use this moment. He wants to use you to cast out the darkness that we find all around us. If you haven't seen any yet, get out on the bacon run. Go and see confusion. Go and see abuse. Go and see addiction. Go and see people absolutely thrown out and rejected and forgotten by the system. We haven't got to look far. But here we are in this moment with this opportunity to make his kingdom known. Let this series in Esther encourage you that God is always present situation you look at right now, it may be impossible. And I'm sure Esther and Mordecai felt the same and saw the same. And we have an opportunity. We have a moment to respond to God today. And you can open your eyes to the ways he's been weaving your life together. Begin to trust him entirely with your present situation, but also your eternal destiny. And over the next few weeks, we're going to glean out some great truths for us that's relevant to our story and who we are and what God is doing. But this morning, just realize 
that you play a part. This is your moment. This is my moment for such a time as this. As Mordecai said to Esther, do not waste it. This is your moment. This is your opportunity for such a time as this. You are here because God wants to use you for such a time as this. You are here for such a time as this. God wants to use you in your workplace. God wants to use you in your community. God wants to use you in your ministry. Wherever you are, wherever you set your feet for such a time as this, God invites you to take your place. Let's stand.